Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 163... My guest uh, coming up will be Brian McColgan, who is a third-year medical student at Columbia, and he's been doing something very unique. He's been video blogging during his rotations this year. You can check them out at brianmcColgan.blogspot.com at his blog called Becoming a Doctor. He also has a passion for international medicine, which we'll get into as well. All that and a lot more on the Dr. Anonymous show, starting right now. bringing you the best stories that medicine and social media have to offer. This is the Dr. Anonymous show live on a Thursday night here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm, of course, your favorite physician host. My name is Mike Sevilla, but my friends, like all of you out there, I know who you are. You call me Dr. Ray, you can always find me at dranonymous.com. That brings you the most current show schedule. Also, it brings you some blog posts and also some TV interviews I've done here with local TV news. You can also go to dranonymous.net. That brings you to the uh, Facebook page for this show. And uh, shout out to all 218 people who like the show, or who are fans of the show, or however they do that now. <laughs> that brings you also some exclusive behind-the-scenes video of me doing this show. Very exciting. You can also go to dranonymous.org, and you can subscribe to this show. Also, leave a comment over there. I very much appreciate that. And you can also listen to this show in real time on your iPhone, BlackBerry, Palm Pre whatever mobile device you have, just uh, direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Anonymous, and you can listen to this show in real time. I know, very exciting. Today is Thursday, May 13th, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and uh, temperature at broadcast time here at Dr. Anonymous World Headquarters is 74 degrees Fahrenheit. Our guest coming up 
will be a medical student, Brian McColgan, who is a third-year medical student at Columbia. And uh, I forget who directed me to his blog a few months ago, but it's very unique in that uh, he's been uh, video blogging during each of his uh, rotations. You can check out his blog at brandmcolgan.blogspot.com. He even has his rotation schedule right on the site. You can follow along during the rest of this academic year. I approached him about uh, being on the show. This was right before his surgery rotation, uh, so I knew that was going to be a busy time. So I followed him, uh, followed up with him afterward, and uh, very happy to be talking with him in a few moments. He also has a passion for international medicine. He's lived in Zimbabwe for a year on a Fulbright Fellowship, and he tells me he coordinated a 30-minute film on HIV stigma for the prevention of mother-to-child transmission with the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation. And also during the summer of his first year, he worked uh, with the medical unit of the CBS Evening News with Katie Couric. And uh, so we'll be talking about his social media and media experience as well. So very excited to uh, talk to him about that. But first... I would like to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show here again this evening on their front page. Welcome to those of you who are new to the show. I have been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real physician. I am a family physician here in private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And if you're listening live, you can see my smiling face here on the webcam here this evening. It's, uh, just go to the top of the chat room, just click on the webcam icon, and you can see me doing the show live here right before your eyes. And if you are waiting to get into the chat room, I know uh, Blog Talk Radio sometimes has a little bit of a delay of people getting in the chat room. Be patient. You will make it here eventually. And uh, before I take my break, I do want to give a big shout-out to everybody here in the uh, chat room here this evening. We have Kat, who is also known as Faith Ignited. We have a guest. I encourage the guest to uh, register her at the Blog Talk Radio site, and you'll be able to type in the chat room and make fun of me like the rest of these people will during the course of the show. We also have J-Man. We have Ramona. We have uh, Survivor Stephanie also in the chat room here this evening. I know that you will be in the chat room here as well. Uh, just in a few moments. So I think I have gotten everything out of the way here, and I will take my break. At the other side of this week will be our guest. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a proud member of the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net. Also a proud member of the Better Health Network. You can get there by going to getbetterhealth.com. And also a member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can get there by going to Pro mednetwork.com and we'll be right back.
Yes, that's right. Curing that pesky rash just with the sound of my voice. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show. And on the line we have with us now, we have Brian McColgan, who is a third-year medical student from Columbia University. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Uh, so, you know, I was trying to think of how I first got to uh, see your blog, um, and I, I can't remember right now. I know it was a few months ago in the dead of winter when uh, it was uh, <clears throat> below zero, <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, many feet of snow outside uh, my window here. Uh, but uh, when, I, uh, when I started uh, uh, reading it and watching it, I was very, uh, uh, very intrigued by it. So thank you for uh, coming on the show. No, thanks for having me. It's really exciting. Uh, so let's get back here a little bit. Let me get a little drink of my water here. <clears throat> so, uh, so let me start by asking you, um, so how did you first get interested um, in health uh, and medicine um, as a career? Well, I think that goes back quite a number of years. I... Um, when I was young, I was very involved in gymnastics and actually competed and did that for almost 16 years. And unfortunately, I used to get hurt a lot, which meant I got to go see a lot of doctors. Um, and I was just, you know, very fascinated when I was young about all the, the cool equipment, the nice white shiny coats, and it just kind of always excited me, but also kind of terrified me at the same time. So it was this sort of bizarre kind of experience that I always kind of stuck with me and, and relish when I was younger. Um, and then, you know, I went into college and sort of became a little bit more interested in, I think, public health and policy and sort of larger kind of um, scope issues relating to health and really kind of questioned whether or not medical school maybe and becoming a doctor was the right path. But um, I did a lot of HIV research, a lot of sort of bench lab work, thinking maybe I wanted to go more into just basic science. And then, you know, that kind of took me in a totally other path um, on the Fulbright that you had mentioned to Zimbabwe. And, you know, that experience in Zimbabwe was really the turning point and the clincher. So even though I kind of started thinking about becoming a doctor when I was very young, I don't think it really hit me how much I wanted to do it and really what I could do with the, the training and the knowledge until I kind of had the chance to work in Zimbabwe. Now, was there anybody in your family in medicine at all, or, or did you have any um, kind of mentors uh, before your Zimbabwe experience to try to give you an idea of what, uh, of what a medical career would be about? So no one in my immediate family is, but I have an uncle who's a physician. He's a pulmonologist. And, um, you know, I did talk with him somewhat about it, but I, I think I kind of was, you know, flying blind a bit and, and really liked that. And I also kind of liked that my family was really supportive and they just were super encouraging and excited for me to do it and to go into medicine. But they also thought, I think, that I was a little crazy <laughs> and they didn't really understand, you know, where I was coming from or why I would want to necessarily choose this particular path, um, you know, of, of the, the long hours and the medical school and the training and, and sort of going off into third world countries and sort of being a doctor in those other places. But I think they've definitely come around and really, you know, grown to, to love and, and appreciate, you know, my perspective on that. And in terms of mentors and as an undergrad, I had quite a few um, research mentors. 
um, mentors who helped with shadowing programs that I was a part of in emergency rooms in California. And I think that really kind of gave me a, a very hands-on um, exposure to what it would be like really working in the emergency room or, or practicing clinical me medicine as well as sort of the academic side of medicine in terms of research and, and public health. Um, I admit I don't know much about the uh, um, the Fulbright uh, Fellowship. Can you tell me a little bit about that, how you found out about it, and uh, kind of what the application process, because I admit I don't know much too much about that. Yeah, so it's a, it's a government-sponsored cultural exchange program. So you actually apply for a specific country, and you design a project that, you know, focuses on cultural exchange and understanding. And my particular work um, that I had done at Stanford as an undergrad was involved in HIV research, where we would import patient samples of blood from Zimbabwe. And I was doing research on these patient samples for a couple years, looking at how the virus, um, the HIV virus, actually infected the different immune cells and how that would change over the course of someone's infection. So I, I wanted to then, you know, after two years of being in the lab and, like, studying these patients' blood and hearing about Zimbabwe, I was just, like, desperate to go there and actually see what it was like and see how, you know, what this place was, the culture was, and the people was that I had heard so much about, but really only known in, like, test tubes. So what mm -hmm. you do is you kind of, you know, you design this project and you apply, and you apply through your school often, but you can also apply sort of at large as a candidate. And then the applications reviewed by the Fulbright Committee. And then um, it's a really kind of great organizational program where you go to D.C. before you go, and they have like an orientation. You get to meet all the other Fulbrighters for that year who are going to different parts of the world. Um, and it's really about this kind of cross-cultural understanding in terms of exposing Americans to other cultures and sharing ideals and knowledge, and then vice versa. The Fulbright also brings students and teachers and academics from other countries to the United States for teaching and research as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, clinical research is, is such a broad type of type of topic. What drew you towards um, an interest in uh, HIV research specifically? So I was I was living in France for the summer after my sophomore year of college, and I had a really close friend who I'd met there who, while I was there, was actually diagnosed um, with HIV. And sort of experiencing that um, firsthand, extremely personally, which I think I've found in talking with a lot of people and other medical students and other people in healthcare, it's, you know, that those personal experiences are truly what drives a lot of people into what areas they're interested in. And I felt that, you know, really with this friend and what he was going through. And, you know, when I got back to Stanford, I immediately just, Googled everyone in the medical center who was doing HIV research and just sort of said, you know, I'm desperate to kind of get involved and do what I can. And I saw my way of getting involved at that point was really through the kind of science that I was studying and the research. Um, but then, you know, as I went to Zimbabwe, that everything kind of changed in terms of the research that I was doing or supposed to do and what ended up actually happening when I was there. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, take us through that a little bit. Uh, maybe even those those first beginning days, as far as you know, getting on the ground there, and and you know, kind of tell us a little bit about the beginning of your experience there. Did you have any? Did you talk to anybody before you went there? Did you have any kind of expectations before you got there? And and 
and tell us a little about you know when you first got there what what was kind of going through your mind well it it was you know terrifying and exciting all at the same time and I had met um, a couple Zimbabweans and a couple Americans who had previously done Fulbrights in Zimbabwe in Washington DC before I had left but other than that you know I had my let's go travel guide and that was pretty much it you know I just kind of got off the plane after 30 plus hours of flying and found myself in Africa and I had never been to Africa I had never really lived outside the United States for an extended period of time and so I didn't really have a whole lot of expectation um, in terms of what it was going to be like, but what I found out was what I had read in the news about the country um, ended up being kind of very far from the truth of what was actually happening on the ground. Because, you know, Zimbabwe at this time was still going through the crazy hyperinflation where there was like over 1 billion percent inflation and you know money was changing its value pretty much every second that you were there and people were trading everything on the black market and it was kind of this very I don't know just sort of bizarre circumstance that I found myself in and yet um, it was just exciting and thrilling all at the same time and you know the embassy really kind of took hold and, and helped me kind of maneuver it when I first got there but then the people who were there really kind of took me in and the people I worked with both at the clinic and with Elizabeth Laser were just amazing people that you know really showed me the ropes showed me how to kind of navigate this bizarre world Um, but I think at the same time it was really difficult to go into a circumstance not having had any experience in kind of developing you know, what it's like in a developing country and how people actually live and how to sort of negotiate what I had and what I was bringing and how I was living there versus how the people that I was working with in the clinics and and in the surrounding areas were actually living. I think it was a very kind of stark contrast that that was what I was least prepared to deal with before I got there. Yeah, can you describe a little bit about um, the living conditions that you were in and, and maybe a little bit about the clinic or, or your, your working environment? Maybe just try to take us in there with you as far as describing that for us. Yeah, so the, I think what's um, often surprising and maybe what people don't know because I wasn't really familiar with is that a lot of expats or expatriates who go and work for NGOs or UN agencies or who live abroad – you know, live very well, almost like uncomfortably well. And like I had, you know, a house. Here I was coming from college. I lived in dorms my whole life. And then suddenly I had a house in Harare and like a two-car garage. And, you know, there were people who would clean the house for me and would cook for me. And it was very, very uncomfortable. Like I, I didn't know how to deal with that kind of circumstance for myself because I was like living in luxury but then I would go to the clinic and you'd go, it was in a sort of surrounding um, semi-urban area called Chitanguiza, and it was about 30 minutes outside Harare. And I'd go there and, you know, there would be, it's like a high-density suburb, almost like a South African township, but without the same real racial connotation. Um, but nonetheless, just very, very poor people living, you know, 20 or so people in one small house room, um, and just, you know, not having barely anything and, you know, wandering around dirt roads and, and just very unclean and, you know, just the, the living conditions in and of themselves were just so traumatic to see, especially coming from my own home that I was living at that time with these giant walls and barbed wire fencing 
and you know beautiful lush garden and so it was really a total kind of have and have nots contrast i think being put into that circumstance and being put in that situation but at the same time just such a sort of enlightening experience to kind of go to these clinics and and meet these people who were just unbelievable and willing to you know really work with me and welcome me and really help me kind of understand what was going on and let me do anything that I could to help out. So what, what were your, re, your responsibilities in the clinic there, seeing people or drawing blood or, um, you know, what, what kind of stuff were you doing at the clinic there? So initially I had gone to try and sort of further develop the research project that I have been working on at Stanford, which where we were collecting the blood samples and looking at the virus, and we wanted to go there and actually do more kind of on-the-ground follow-up, looking at how the virus was mutating based on the drug regimens that the patients were on, because the government had recently started like a, a Ministry of Health antiretroviral rollout where generic medications were being available um, at very low, if not free cost for patients. And we wanted to see, you know, with the transitions of medicines that people were on, how well they were doing um, based on resistance profiles. But the, the equipment that we wanted to use for that actually couldn't, um, you know, it couldn't, we couldn't bring it into the country and couldn't use it. And so when I was at the clinics, I was doing a lot more shadowing. I was doing a lot more kind of like basic organizational things. I tried to get computers donated from the UK so that we could have some form of sort of database collection and, and try and sort of profile patients in terms of their demographics. But what ended up happening was, you know, I found myself pretty much there in Zimbabwe one month in, and all the projects I had kind of designed to go there couldn't happen without this equipment and without the technology and everything that I needed. So I ended up um, meeting a an amazing friend and colleague um, and physician at Elizabeth Glazer who kind of took me in and, and told me about the projects they were doing in the same community, one of which was sort of trying to work on stigma re revolving around mother-to-child transmission of HIV. And she kind of, kind of brought me into the fold and we kind of discussed and threw ideas around as to what we could do to really help with this issue and sort of came up with the idea of, you know, working to develop a video um, you know, sort of documentary of this HIV-positive drama group who was performing all these skits around the community kind of at the various clinics about their own personal experience of living with HIV to try and kind of normalize that and bring that into the limelight. And we really just wanted to find a way to capture that on film in a way to kind of design a kind of discussion forum that we could then bring around to different parts of the country with this video. Mm. Can you describe a little bit about what uh, you know? What was the attitude? What was the stigma that that you had to deal with? Uh, um, you know, in the country there, or where you were at. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of the. Unfortunately, the women were getting the brunt of the blame and a brunt of the lack of options when it came to um, protection. It came to, to prevention of transmission, and it and also being blamed if they were infected by their partner, um, the partner would then would blame it on them and they would find themselves pregnant and then kicked out of the home with nowhere to go. Even though more often than not, the male partner was having extramarital affairs with other, other partners and actually was the one bringing the virus into the home. So the film really was a sort of female empowerment almost, kind of showing 
this very specific example of one woman sort of talking with the rest of her extended family, aunts um, and uncles and everyone else that she could sort of gather up after being kicked out of her home by her husband because they, they, she found out she was HIV positive at the clinic. And so it was sort of trying to document that and sort of bring that out and show that, you know, the clinics in Chittanguiza and in that area did offer testing, counseling, confidentiality, and um, medications to prevent the transmission during the, the birth of the child. But sort of taking it through the kind of, you know, this specific example to kind of really highlight how that would go, how people would go about that in the community and try and keep it confidential and safe at the same time. Hmm. So how did you put the video together then? Uh, you just you just uh, shot video of different, you said you different types of skits, or how was that put together? So the, the HIV, the drama group that we worked with, um, it was the Zimbabwe AIDS Prevention Project, or ZAP drama group, they had the whole skit that they were had been performing for months before we actually, you know, approached them with this idea. And it was just a matter of, you know, actually scripting it and filming it in different scenes because they were performing it like a play outside the clinics, but we wanted to sort of make it more like a 30-minute TV show. So we wanted to take it into different scenes in the homes, at the clinic. We wanted to set up and show what an actual counseling session would look like with one of the HIV counselors. We wanted to show the delivery room. We wanted to show the medications and how they were administered, really kind of trying to realistically demystify the whole process so that you know, people would feel comfortable approaching the clinics, coming forward, and really knowing what to expect. So we kind of would travel around all the different parts of Chittanguiza in these homes and clinics and wards and, and really filming the different skits teased out of the play that they had already scripted and been performing. Hmm, okay, okay. There's a question in our live chat room here. Uh, I think I'm going to try to interpret this here. Um, is there is there um, an attitude or a stigma with, um, I guess what we would call um, uh, Western medicine as opposed to, um, you know, faith healers or, you know, those, those type of healers um, in the area there where you were at. That actually wasn't um, a large issue in the area I was at. I know in other parts of Southern Africa that's a huge problem where you have patients willing to pay inordinate amount of money for some herbal um, remedies or remedies that haven't been scientifically proven to work when there are scientifically proven antiretroviral drugs that are completely effective and will, you know, keep the virus at bay. But in the area that I was working with, they were very open, very accepting, and very willing to engage in, quote-unquote, Western medicine and utilize the medicines. Um, but there was, you know, people did see other doctors and they did have other healers that they would go see, but those patients were really honest about what they were taking and they would bring that in and show it to us and we would ask, you know, are you taking any other supplements or vitamins? And, you know, for the most part, it was just a lot of vitamins and herbs and stuff that would be great for any healthy person. It wasn't really anything that was going to interact with the drugs, the antiretrovirals badly. And, you know, they were amazing patients and that I think a lot of times in the United States we talk about patient compliance and how that can be such an issue getting patients to take their medicines. Well, a lot of the Zimbabwean patients would come and walk for, you know, miles back and forth every day to the clinic if they had to and come at like 5 in the morning before the clinic even opened, waiting in line at the pharmacy to get their medication. So they were, 
you know, very loyal, determined patients and, you know, very open and willing to sort of accept and, and work with us. Uh, you made reference to uh, you, you, you worked a lot with the Elizabeth Glazer Pediatric AIDS Foundation. It sounds like you're doing a lot of um, education uh, there. Um, can you describe a little bit of uh, some other things that they're doing? But were, were they in charge of the clinic or was another entity in charge of the clinic? How did that work? So the clinic was the Ministry of Health. So the this was something that was very hard for me to understand when I first went there because I didn't really know how the NGOs, like the non-governmental organizations, really operated within these countries. Um, but, you know, they're very much behind the scenes and very much involved in training and educating local staff, local physicians, local nurses to make it a truly sustainable process. So they weren't actually running the clinic and they weren't actually giving medicines out. It wasn't like there was any handouts that were happening. It was very much just trying to support and train local staff and the Ministry of Health program um, to kind of keep everything running as best it could so that if for any reason they had to leave the country, which has happened before in Zimbabwe's history and I'm sure other African countries where NGOs are forced out by the government, these patients wouldn't just be kind of left without any medications, with, without any support. You know, there would still be the local support there that would be able to look after them and care for them as best as they had been trained by the NGOs like Glazer. Uh, you described that this Zimbabwe experience really solidified your, your decision to, uh, to go into medicine. Do you recall kind of a, a moment where it really solidified it for you, or was it just kind of, um, you know, kind of the, the whole experience in total when you were, you were there or when you were coming back, or um, have you really kind of narrowed it down? I'm just kind of curious about stuff like that. Yeah, I think that the there was a specific patient I think that really brought me to realize who that I wanted to be a doctor and that you know the the experience had sort of shown me the the massive public health interest and possible media interest that I had with health through the video project. But there's this patient Joseph who I had um, worked a lot with and, and was a member of the the HIV positive drama group. And, you know, he just, more than anyone else I had met, kind of welcomed me into his life and, and was really kind of my tour guide of Chitanguiza before we actually started working together. He also volunteered at the clinic and was trained as a counselor. And, you know, meeting his family and going into his home and having him open up and share about his struggle with HIV, his sickness, you know, what it's done to his family, that kind of one-on-one -on -one personal medical interaction really showed me that I did want to go and go to medical school to become the doctor so that I could still have those one-on-one -on -one really patient-physician interactions that you can only get with this training rather than just have more of the public health focus, which I think you, you can do both and combine both, but to have that one-on-one -on -one relationship that you build with a patient I think is something truly exceptional that was really solidified by my experience with this with Joseph. Um, our guest is uh, Brian McColgan. He is a third-year medical student now at uh, Columbia. He is uh, and he has a blog, which we'll get to talking about in a little bit. Uh, you can get there by going to brianmcColgan.blogspot.com. Um, so, Brian, so how did you end up at Columbia then? Because you were at Stanford, so how did that happen? Well, I've always been a New Yorker at heart, and <laughs> so I, I always wanted to come to and live in New York City and I wanted to come here for undergrad. Um, 
but you know my parents thought I think that maybe I was a little bit too young to kind of run around New York yet so uh, I went to California and Palo Alto which is much safer kind of little bubble of protection which was great and I loved my experience there for four years but I've always wanted to be in New York it's just this sort of vibrant sort of microcosm of the whole world um, you know just that an, such an international melting pot that's so historic and I just always feel like I'm at the center of things when I'm here. And, you know, Columbia in and of itself has, you know, affiliations with Mailman and the Earth Institute in terms of international health work. And there were a lot of physicians I had read about and and had just really wanted to work with in my time here. So, you know, it just seemed like a perfect fit and was just so thrilled that I was able to come here and, and study here. And it's been an amazing three years. Um, I know first year was was uh, feels like forever ago. Uh, but uh, what, what do you remember about your uh, your first year of medical school? I mean, everybody everybody describes uh, uh, the analogy of uh, drinking from a fire hose. Uh, would you uh, uh, how would you describe what uh, what you got out of your first year of medical school? I think that there was just such a an amazing camaraderie that you know I formed with my classmates very early on, like all of us being thrown into this, you know, crazy experience together. But it was just such an interesting and diverse group of people. But we had this common goal. Um, We all just wanted to, you know, run around and and save the world. And I think that really brought us together. But then the hours and hours of suffering in the anatomy lab, I think, is really what brought us together (laughs) in terms of the, you know, very pleasant, fragrant aroma of the bodies. And just that that whole experience of dissecting and you know exploring the human anatomy i think is probably one of the things that everybody remembers from first year of medical school but you know columbia the the curriculum that i went through which has now changed we had almost an entire year of anatomy and so it was really kind of like a focus of our our first year experience and at the end of the year there's also a ceremony where family and friends of the people who had donated their bodies come and there's a, a sort of non-denominational but sort of religious spiritual ceremony to kind of commemorate the year and the experience and the donation that these people had made. So I think the combination of the anatomy experience and how intense that was academically, but then how kind of emotional it was too at the end to have this kind of ceremony with you know relatives and friends of the people that we had really become intimate with in terms of our experience with them. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I remember when we had our uh, ceremony at the end of our first year and uh, um, we had a ceremony, we had people who um, um, uh, read poetry or read from whatever their um, um, uh, holy book or their scripture was uh, um, to observe whatever their faith was. Um, we had uh, members of the family that were uh, there too, um, and yes, I mean that, that was a, a very powerful experience. Uh, we and uh, when we went to the cemetery, it was uh, um, it was walking distance from the school, so it was springtime, and uh, our whole class, along with uh, the families that uh, that came to the ceremony, we got to talk with them, and we got to walk, and we had another small ceremony there, so. Uh, uh, so yeah, I know exactly what you're saying as far as you know recognizing um, um, the uh, you know the what what they did for us as far as letting us um, you know learn from them 
Um, and it was it, it was a very powerful experience. I, I I will always remember that day. Yeah, I think it's great that you know medical schools do that, and it really it really was truly special, like you're saying, and that that whole experience um, is definitely something I'll remember forever. Uh, now, after your first year, uh, in, in the email you sent me that uh, you said you worked uh, with uh, uh, CBS News. Uh, can you describe a little bit about that experience there? Yeah, so I, you know, coming off of the Fulbright and this video project, you know, my whole world of that was previously focused much more on kind of lab research, you know, suddenly focused to like media, and I had no idea what that meant or what to do with it, um, but. Uh, fortunately, one of the physicians affiliated with Columbia, uh, Dr. John LaPook, was the medical correspondent at CBS News. And, you know, I found this out and got in touch with him and just sort of, you know, explained my story, explained my interest and just said, you know, I think with, you know, I think journalism is such a great way to really kind of the interplay with health and medicine and, you know, being able to document and, and share that with the public, which I think is becoming such a much more important part of, of medicine with, you know, people being so much better informed with the internet and with, you know, media in and of itself. I just, you know, said I would love to see what it was like, you know, in terms of broadcast journalism and how it works in the real world. And so he, you know, I applied for the general kind of CBS News internship, which I think is mostly reserved for undergraduates going into you know, journalism and communication. So I felt kind of like an old fart, you know, having taken two years off of undergrad and then having a year of medical school already to be there. But, you know, everybody was great. I loved sort of the work environment. And what I ended up doing a lot of time was, you know, using what I had learned in the first year of med school and researching a lot of stories. And a lot of it revolved around um, new research that would quite possibly change how people would practice medicine. So, lots of vitamin D studies, lots of new research on cancer, lots of new research on heart disease, you know, kind of Alzheimer's disease, Gardasil, you know, was coming out at that time. So there was lots of vaccine um, stories that were happening. And so researching and helping the team kind of put together the medical facts of that, but then just kind of being in awe of how it actually all came together to be this, you know, beautiful, crisp, one minute and 30 second segment that, you know, covered this great topic. It was like, you know, putting together a little mini movie, you know, almost every day and trying to condense all this information and get interviews from experts in the field and, you know, organize all that. I just love the kind of like fast paced, you know, somewhat hysterical, but organized aspect of the journalism world. So, so you were involved a lot with those pieces as far as getting the background information, setting up the interviews, that type of thing? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's sort of like an associate producer, assistant producer position. You know, early on, I was very much just learning what was going on, asking how I could be helpful, you know, just kind of figuring things out. And then, you know, as the summer went on, you know, I got much more involved trying to connect, find other doctors who would be experts, who would be willing to do interviews, trying to organize that, going on the interviews, going on the, the shoots, and really seeing how the producer and the correspondent would work together and set everything up and, and doing a lot of the research to see, you know, what does this really mean? How good is this study? Are there other studies like this? Um, you know, and, and trying to kind of do some of the legwork. And, of course, CBS News has their own, you know, dedicated research division. So it wasn't like I was the only one fact-checking or doing any of the medical research. But, um, you know, it was really kind of 
trying to get that done and do it as quickly as I can and really kind of help con- contribute something to the piece. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fascinating thing. I, I've, I've been involved just for about last seven or eight months with our local TV news here, and, and it's interesting kind of seeing how they package things together, um, how they piece everything together, and how everything is really um, narrowed down to seconds, which I didn't really know about. So um, kind of kind of the, the way that they put the story together and how it's balanced and how they get this and that. It was, um, I mean, obviously you got more detail about it than I did, but it's it's interesting seeing how, how a message is delivered, um, especially through television media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was also really interesting, too, seeing what, what stories are picked, you know, like what's considered a newsworthy medical story. Um, and the CBS, the evening news sort of had a cutoff a lot of times saying that it needed to affect whatever we were going to talk about, whether it was a new medicine, a new study, a new intervention. Um, it had to affect like at least two to three million people. Um, in order for it to be kind of like warranted, you know, for the demographic or for the audience that it would be of interest, um, you know. And so that that's more for kind of like a breaking headline evening news story. They also do a lot of kind of more um, personal stories or more kind of that necessarily don't have to affect that, that specific number of people. But I think they they very much looked for certain diseases and conditions that would fit that profile a lot. So, so was it then uh, your your um, uh, your media experience in Zimbabwe and your media experience with CBS um, was that kind of laying the groundwork for how you came about to um, to video blog your third year of medical school? Can you kind of uh, describe a little bit about you know how how that came about and how you put up the blog and and uh, you, know, you know why would you put why would you do something like this? <laughs> uh, well, I think. It was more hearing in the early parts of medical school and in undergrad from doctors that, you know, they always said that, you know, the third year of medical school is going to change you. And I, that kind of shook me a bit because I didn't really know what they meant. And I was always asking, well, what do you mean it's going to change me? Like, am I going to become hardened? Am I going to become bitter? Well, I mean, am I going to, like, you know, fall apart? What do you, what's, what do you mean? And so I, I kind of, that stuck with me. And approaching this time, I was just so excited to be running around the hospital and to not be sitting in the classroom anymore. And also in the back of my head, thinking that I was going to become a different person through this experience, I just thought that I wanted some way of capturing it. And I, I do like to write, but I don't consider myself a writer. So in terms of like writing something every night, it didn't seem like a very appealing form of of kind of laying that documentation groundwork. And so I just sort of thought a great way would just be to kind of diary um, log it through video and that I could just sit down at the end of the day and kind of talk about whatever struck me that day the most and really kind of what stuck with me and what I would want to remember, you know, 10, 15 years from now, um, looking back hopefully on on what this was and what the experience was and, and also capturing a lot of those first moments. You know, like there's so many first moments in third year of medical school as you go through these rotations. I mean, you know, as well as every other doctor, like the first time you catch a baby, like the first time you put an IV in, the first time you do a guaiac test, you know, the first time you give someone bad news or, you know, I had to tell people they had HIV or had cancer, you know, the first time you have a patient who's dying in front of your eyes. And, you know, I can remember those moments now, but I wanted to remember them so much more clearly. And I think capturing them 
you know, the day that they happen, you know, was sort of my idea behind doing a, a kind of video journal. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember I did that a little bit too. I mean, not video, of course, but, um, you know, just writing um, a little bit. And, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. You, you, want, to, you want to capture um, sometimes very raw emotion or something, uh, sometimes uh, remembering a specific detail that you probably wouldn't remember a week later. Um, so it was really fascinating watching um, a lot of your videos as far as, you know, I can myself can relate to not a, your specific situation, but that, that triggered a memory for myself um, of what I was doing right at that type of moment. Um, and it, it's a very interesting way to document how things have been going um, this year. Did, did, you, um, <clears throat> did you think at some point you were going to, you know, stop or get bored with it or or forget to do it or get too busy to do it during the course of of this year you know that was a that was a worry and i i had to i talked with the dean of students at columbia before doing any of this because of course i was worried about patient confidentiality about what i wanted to talk about you know about how it would reflect on me professionally and like you know how it would look to you know columbia and to the people that i was working with if i was doing this and, you know, I, I found it, you know, as I've done it, to be really kind of like cathartic almost. Like, it's just how I, you know, kind of unwind at the end of the day and, you know, really kind of putting that out there kind of caps off a day that even if it's been 24 plus hours long, you know, I just, I kind of want to do it and I want to sit down and I want to talk to the camera. And, you know, as I've done it and as I've been posting them, you know, I've gotten a lot of feedback from mostly international medical students, which I just think is really interesting, um, who I guess are doing more Googling and more searching, maybe on, on practicing or working in the United States or just on medicine in general. Um, and it's just been really kind of positive feedback. And I think when you get that, that reinforcement and you realize all of a sudden that somebody's listening, you know, it's even more encouraging. So despite the kind of tiredness or, or you know, maybe not feeling so great, and sitting myself in front of my computer, it still always felt good after I had done it. Um, and I just, you know, have loved the whole process. And I actually haven't been able to go back and have time to really look at a lot of the older ones yet. But one thing that I'm hoping to do after third year and maybe having when I have some more time, you know, in fourth year is to really kind of try and edit and maybe make some kind of thematic chapters out of them in some way to kind of put together different pieces of the year or, you know, show some kind of progression through a specific theme, um, which I think would just also be interesting way to kind of review it all and see what it all looks like. Have you had uh, feedback specifically from, from people in your class or from administration or the dean, um, you know, after you started this project? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny because a lot of the, like, as I've started new rotations, um, meeting some of the new, um, professors and attending physicians, you know, they'll Google us to just get some information about us before we actually, you know, interact with them very much. And, you know, they found it. And all the feedback that I've gotten has been really great from residents and students and the faculty. They all just think it's a really interesting project. And, you know, I think I've had such an amazing time throughout third year that I also think it, it reflects well on, you know, Columbia as a school, you know. So I hope that, um, you know, a lot of the the first and second year students, the ones that I've heard from, have really liked it. They're kind of nervous about some rotations, so they'll specifically go look for those and kind of, 
you know, see what to expect or see what was hard or write to me and ask me some more questions about it. So I think it kind of demystifies it a lot, um, specifically for people going through the Columbia program, but hopefully for people, you know, in, in other medical schools as well. Uh, so has uh, third year changed you or have you, have you felt yourself uh, different than in, uh, you know, last summer? I think it has. I, I think there's, I don't think that there is any way you can, you know, start to experience these things dealing with people um, and very sick people and their families and not feel different. Um, I think what, what, what I found is that it's just, you know, I had a lot of those experiences in Zimbabwe and now having them here, it just kind of solidifies, you know, wanting to do this and like kind of craving that interaction even more. So I think it, it's changed me in, in that it sort of made me more confident about wanting to do this. Um, but it's also kind of had me, you know, take a look at specifically what kind of doctor I want to be, which is kind of another big question that everybody asks themselves in third year, like, what are you going to apply for residency in? And so that, that in and of itself is something that also changes you because you start to, you know, pick yourself and put yourself into a different culture of medicine, which I think is really interesting. You have to kind of think about where you fit within the different subgroups of physicians and surgeons. So your blog says that uh, you're going to be continuing this for the rest of this academic year. Uh, have you thought about continuing it in your fourth year, for example, going through the residency interview process and sharing that type of experience or even uh, in residency? I would love to. I would love to continue you know, uh, some form of documentation. I think um, my first rotation actually of fourth year is in New Mexico, um, going to um, uh, Indian Health Reservation there. So I'm actually living in like a mobile home without a phone or, you know, internet connection. So I don't know if I'll be able to upload the videos there, but I would like to get some kind of, you know, inexpensive handheld camcorder and do some kind of like documentation of that experience in and of itself. So maybe something where like I do more kind of cohesive themed projects rather than kind of like daily diary entries. I could definitely see something like that happening, you know, as I go through fourth year and into residency. But, um, you know, I think the, the daily um, video logs was much more, I think, suited to the very fast-paced changing rotations of third year where you go from something like surgery to psychiatry, you know, within one week. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really kind of see you doing kind of like a video type essay, um, taking pieces and parts and, and making kind of a, a uh, even a short film or um, you know, something of that nature with, with that type of, uh, um, you know, experience in, in, uh, in the Southwest. Yeah, I mean, I think it would just be great to, to really, I mean, that's a whole other part of the country that I've I've never experienced and, you know, have heard so much about. And I know a lot of a lot of physicians find it really rewarding to work in those types of places. And so I just think it'll be a really cool experience. But it really sounds like just talking with you that your heart um, is, is drawing you back to international uh, type of medicine. Uh, uh, so, you know, during your residency or after your residency, when you become an attending physician, where do you see yourself um, you know, internationally working and what type of work do you, would you be doing? Would it be continuing doing HIV work? Would it be doing, you know, other type of clinical work? Where do you kind of see yourself going? Well, I'm not, I'm not really sure in terms of the specific uh, type of clinical work. I'm, I've decided to apply in internal medicine, so I'll still have, you know, another, 
a year or so of internship afterwards to kind of figure out if I want to go right into a fellowship or not. Um, I, I think that international health and international medicine is changing too. Um, infectious diseases like HIV are still a huge issue, um, but I think there are a lot of other like chronic health problems that, that people have you know, in different parts of the world and developing countries. So um, I don't think you necessarily have to specialize in HIV or infectious diseases to be, you know, really involved in international health. So I'm kind of, you know, going to feel out the different um, areas of internal medicine to really see if any one specific one, you know, I gravitate towards. Um, but I definitely see myself in the future in some way affiliated with you know, an academic institution just because of the, the resources, the ability to kind of, you know, design and implement projects. But then collaborations with NGOs and UN agencies, I think there's just so much more of that kind of cross-collaboration and organizations like, you know, the Clinton Initiative and Bill Gates, these private organizations as well, you know, in some way kind of working with all of those different different entities and maybe incorporating the media aspect as well to kind of highlight what people are doing in these different organizations. So it's still kind of a vague conglomeration of all my interests at this point, but yeah. I think it'll just yeah. be kind of really exciting to actually be able to go back to a country and, and treat people as a doctor and to then design these other projects. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that too. Where, where do you kind of see yourself as far as uh, media, social media, um, as part of your your goals there, uh, you know, uh, uh, becoming, uh, you know, uh, a network uh, a correspondent or you know, like a Sanjay Gupta type of uh, uh, media type of thing. Do you? And I guess everything is on the table, but uh, um, uh, that's that's something I really kind of see that that you kind of have a passion for as well. Yeah, I think that so much of the public um, in America and internationally learns medicine nowadays from from TV and the internet. I mean, the number of patients that I've had who, you know, will Google their symptoms and come in and I'm sure you have this too and like literally tell you what they have. And it's a they're they're right a lot of times. Um but then they'll also be wrong, but then when you tell them what they have, they'll go do all the research and they'll know what medicines they want. And so it is a double-edged sword, but I think that's the amazing place that we're at with medicine is that people really have access to so much more information, but it's a matter of, you know, directing them towards and helping them figure out what information is reliable, you know, what they actually need to know, what's useful. And I think navigating that from, you know, a broadcast journalism perspective would be very interesting. But I also think that, you know, maybe independent projects like, you know, the work that you're doing, I just think is incredible as well, like doing your own kind of blog and radio show and sort of developing your own kind of social media enterprise, if you will, and kind of using that for a forum to expose, you know, or, or talk about what other people are doing in medicine, I think is really exciting and that could be extrapolated to what other people are doing in international health. So I think it's, there's so many things that you can do with it, which is why social media and, and sort of journalism are really exciting. And with you know, you can make a blog in like five seconds and all of a sudden be sharing your ideas with the world. I think that's just unbelievable. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 and I try to read as many blogs as I can when I have the time. But, I mean, especially, you know, international blogs now. There's, there's, I mean, there are blogs all over the world, even, you know, in Africa and, and you know, whether it's a political-type blog or a personal-type blog. Um, 
you know, I, I would think if, if the, uh, you know, if you did have the equipment there in Zimbabwe, you probably would have been blogging there as well, you know, as far as getting the information out. So, so this, this, uh, uh, you know, communication network that we have is international. It's around the world, and it's instant. Um, and I'm very excited about it as well. Yeah, no, it's great. I, I love it, and I love that it's sort of limitless potential. Um, so we'll we'll see where it all goes. But I, I don't really know yet. I'm just kind of looking forward to getting through neurology and the shelf exam next week. So <laughs> That's I, <kind> right. <laughs> I take it like sort of one day at a time, and then one week That's at a right. time, and then sometimes ten years at a time. So we'll see how it all plays yeah, out. Yeah. Well, Brian, it, 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 it's been great to talk with you on, on, on the show here, and uh, I'm glad that uh, we were able to get to get the time during uh, this very busy uh, third year of, uh, of medical school. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd love to bring you back on the show maybe during your fourth year just to kind of see how things are going. Uh, but what, what you're doing here is, is uh, um, it's, it's unique. Um, I hope um, you know, a lot of people, including college students, medical students, have a, have a chance to kind of take a look at things and, and um, you know, have, have you bring them inside as far as what the third year is about. Um, I wish you the best of luck. It, it's been great talking with you. Thanks. It's been really great, too. Thanks for having me on the show, and I'd love to come back and see how things play out in the next year, too. That would be really great. Okay, great. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, and, uh, and we'll talk very soon then. Uh, we'll uh, talk to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, kids. So uh, that ends my show here tonight. I only have three minutes here uh, left. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – oh, wow. This is fascinating. That was uh, Brian McColgan, uh, and uh, his blog is called Becoming a Doctor. You can go there by going to becomingadoctor.blog – I'm sorry, brianmcColgan.blogspot.com. His, uh, his blog is called Becoming a Doctor. And if you haven't checked that out, I would definitely check that out. Um, it definitely triggered some memories, good and bad, uh, for me, <laughs> back to third year of uh, medical school, and uh, I wish him the best of luck. I mean, uh, and uh, um, I think uh, Ramona uh, remarked this in the chat room uh, as well. As far as you know, these type of international uh, medicine experiences, uh, either I wasn't paying attention or I was uh, just too afraid to uh, leave town <laughs> on this type of experience. So uh, I'd love to get him back on the show uh, as he gets closer to graduation. That would be that'd be kind of fun to catch up with him. Um, again. Uh, but thanks a lot for joining me here tonight. That ends my show here uh, tonight. Uh, my next show, I am going to have a Saturday show here, uh, so May 15th. Um, and uh, I'm thinking about doing a two-hour show, but I haven't really decided yet. But uh, one of those hours will be devoted to our good friend, uh, Faith Ignited, or Cat. Uh, she'll be coming back on the show. We'll be chatting it up. We have a lot of things to uh, catch up on. Because uh, I didn't have a show last week, but I'm trying to I'm trying to get somebody else here to uh, to help me out uh, so I can do maybe a two hour show here on Saturday night. So uh, uh, so thanks a lot for uh, joining me here this evening. I'm not going to have any kind of closing song. I'm just uh, and uh, there's no uh, post show here tonight. I am very tired, so uh, so I'll catch up with uh, everybody uh, very soon. Uh, uh, check out uh, my blog DrAnonymous.com and also check out the uh, Facebook. Uh, page there at dranonymous.net and uh, you can listen to and download any one of my shows over at uh, dranonymous.org. Thanks again to Brian McColgan. Check out his blog, brianmcColgan.blogspot.com. It's called Becoming a Doctor. That's all for me tonight. Thanks a lot for joining me. Good night, everybody.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.